Thanks to Natalie and to William and Karen and Sarah and Dean for leading us in our praise of the Lord today. Thanks to those down at the back who get the words up for us and do all of the things that enable you to hear me and to see what's going on. And if you're looking at the screen now, this past week was that week that it seems in lots of our schools, it was time for parent-teacher interviews. And if you had one of those this week, I hope that went well. It wasn't too traumatic, whether you're a teacher or whether you're a parent. I was talking to a friend during the week who has children who are primary school age, and he was telling me about the parent-teacher interview, and he was really delighted. And he was saying, I'm so pleased. You know, everything that the teacher said, I wondered, was this really my children? Because the teacher was saying about how polite they are and how well they get on with the other children and how hard they work. And he told me that when he was on his way home afterwards with his wife, he said, we must be doing something right. And then he kind of caught himself on and he said, here, listen to me. What do I sound like going on about my kids? And I said, look, it's all right. It's okay. It's natural. Isn't it? It's natural for parents to be pleased when their children are doing things right. We're really hard on them when they're doing things in the wrong way. So, it's natural that when they do things right, when they succeed, that we feel this pleasure about that, that we delight in their achievements. Today is our second time thinking about David the father. And last time we discovered that there was so much that was wrong with his family, so many things that could have caused David real concern and pain. So, if you think back to a couple of weeks ago and just how dysfunctional David's family was as we met with this family in 2 Samuel chapter 13, there we met David's unruly sons. We met this terrible person, Amnon, who despicably raped his half-sister, Tamar, and then cruelly rejected her. But then later in the chapter, we met Absalom, another of David's sons, who understandably wanted to take his revenge on Amnon for what he had done to his sister. But that all escalated so that he ended up murdering him and then going on the run from his father so that for the rest of David's life, Absalom became an enemy and a thorn in his flesh. The guy who tried to take the throne from his father. And in the middle of that chapter, all of that dysfunctionality, remember how David felt about Amnon's actions. His reaction was understandable. If you look for a moment Back in 2 Samuel 13 and verse 21, it tells us that David was furious, and rightly so, understandably so. But then the problem was he failed to do anything about that. He just felt angry, but he didn't take any action. And as I've reflected on that again, because this reoccurs in this chapter, I'm left wondering, why did David not intervene? He was a strong leader, a strong king. And I just wonder, did he find it hard 
to accept the truth that one of his own sons, one of his own children could do something like this? Did that just melt his mind so much that he just wanted to ignore that it was the truth? Well, given all of this background, given the people that we're meeting with back in that chapter, no wonder then David took so much pleasure in having a son who did things right, a son who was a credit to his father, as we would use that phrase, but much more crucially, a son who ensured that God's promises made to David were fulfilled. Today, for a while, we are thinking about the son and the heir that David could be proud of, the one that he could be pleased to say came from his line. So, I would invite you to turn with me again in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 1, a chapter that tells the story of the end of David's reign and the plan that he put in place to make sure that the one of his choice succeeded him as king. And when you look at this chapter, once again, it is a dysfunctional story. The first thing that we encounter in this chapter is David's chaotic family. Remember that in this series, we have met with David, the man who had a heart for God. That's what the Scripture testifies about David, that he was a man after God's own heart. We have described it like this, that he shared the Lord's outlook. But while David was like that, it is so important to remember David was not God. He was weak. He was a sinful man. He made bad choices. He got it wrong. He made mistakes. And once again, here in 1 Kings 1, we see the legacy of his sinful past. Because all of this infighting, all of this intrigue that we were reading about in 1 Kings 1, it comes about because of David's own choices. And you get to see how people begin to position themselves, realizing that David is coming towards the end of his life and reign. And in particular, Adonijah, look at how he's described in verse 5 of 1 Kings 1. It tells us that Adonijah put himself forward. And we know people like that, don't we, in all kinds of settings and organizations that we're involved in. In our workplaces, there are those people, and they're just like that, aren't they? They put themselves forward. They tend to have big ideas about themselves. And Adonijah clearly had big ideas about himself, so much so that he started to act like a king. He was racing around the country with chariots and horses. He was also plodding behind the king's back. He got David's trusted commander, his close advisor, Joab, on board. But the key thing is that Adonijah was neither David's choice or, more importantly, the Lord's choice of king. Can you see David's sinful past catching up with him? or he ignored God's will and God's law when it came to marriage. 
He did his own thing. So that in the years that followed, you had all these competing families within one bigger family, all of these competing children and pushy mothers, all wanting to get their son on the throne. And yet again, and it's really striking, given what we've been reminded of 2 Samuel 13 and the way that David ignored Amnon's terrible crime, once again in this passage, David seems unable to act or unwilling to act. When Adonijah was running around the country acting like a king, you think you would think that David would have taken him aside, put an arm around him and said, Adonijah, son, why's the bat? Come on, settle yourself down. This is not what you're called to be. And yet, look at the explanation, the background information that's given in verse 6. It's striking. It says of David, of Adonijah's father David, that his father had never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave as you do? David never got Adonijah to the side and said, what are you playing at? And so, a couple of big lessons here, in fact, alarm bells that we should be alert to in our lives. The first is a reminder again of the role that we should play, the role that we should play as friends, true friends, as brothers and sisters in the Lord within a church, but particularly as family members, especially as moms and dads, most notably as fathers with that role of leadership within the family. The need to step in and challenge behavior that is wrong. The need for us to be courageous, especially those of us who are dads. And I know that that is so hard to do, that it's so tempting for us to settle for a quiet life. In fact, to justify that, well, you know, I wouldn't want to cause any offense or I wouldn't want to rock the boat, or we wouldn't want to disrupt things in our family or in our church, so we'll just keep quiet. But once again, look at the chaos that David's inaction causes. And the other big thing, the other big alarm bell here as we read this part of the chapter is the great reminder that being people with a heart for God does not make us immune from sin. So, the big idea about David, the, the thing that we've been learning week in, week out about David, is that he had this heart for God, that he shared the Lord's outlook. But he also really messed up. He made poor choices. Yet again, in this chapter, he got things so badly wrong. He was much in need of God's forgiveness and His grace. And whenever we turn to Christ, the Bible declares that we are given a new heart. In fact, it goes further. The Bible tells us that we become a new creation, that is, a new person in Him. And of course, we're relying on the Holy Spirit to change us. But we need to know that godliness, being like God, thinking like Him, acting like Him, is not just something that happens all of a sudden. It is something that develops in Christian life. 
It is something that is cultivated by using the means of grace that God gives us, by reading His Word, by praying, by being together as a church and worshiping and learning. So, don't drop your guard. Don't imagine, believer in Christ, that sin is something that you're completely immune from so that your guard drops and it becomes a problem in your life. So, David's chaotic family, but then very quickly, David's choice of king. And we've been watching on at our own royal family over the past months, all of the intrigue, Harry and William and all the rest of that, and it's nothing new. Those who, who do history in school here, you think about the Tudors and Henry and his wives and his daughters, and then we think back to the royal household of David, and all of that intrigue and infighting is to be found there. And with Adonijah positioning himself as king, it was time for David to act and confirm his choice of king. And what is really clear in this chapter is that Solomon was David's clear choice of king. Yes, he needed to be reminded of that indirectly by Nathan the prophet, directly by his wife Bathsheba, but they look back to a time when David made it absolutely clear, Solomon will be king after me. Look at verse 17 and what it is that Bathsheba reminds David of. She says, my Lord, you yourself swore to me, your servant, by the Lord your God, Solomon, your son, shall become king after me, and he will sit on my throne. Solomon was David's choice. But much more significantly, the Scriptures also tell us that Solomon was the Lord's clear choice of king. We see that in another book of the Bible, 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles gives us this parallel account of David's reign and life. And if you look up for a moment, 1 Chronicles chapter 22, there we see how the Lord overruled David. When David said, I'm going to build the Lord a new temple, He deserves greater glory, and I'll be the one to bring it. But God said, no, David, your past is too sinful. You have too much blood in your hands. You can't be the one who will build a temple for my glory, but your son, Solomon, he will. And in explaining that, if you look at 1 Chronicles 22, verses 9 and 10, he makes it really clear about the one who will follow. He says, his name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. It couldn't be any clearer from the Lord, but there's an amazing thing that the Lord says there about Solomon, that he will be part of an everlasting kingdom, and we'll think about that more in just one moment. But let's briefly return to 1 Kings 1. Because how did David seal his and the Lord's choice of Solomon as king? Well, he did it 
in a really public way. Look at the, the, the amazing spectacle that happens. We take up the story again in verse 38. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the, Nathan the prophet went down and put Solomon on King David's mule, and they escorted him to Gion. Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon. Then they sounded the trumpet, and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon! All the people went up after him, playing flutes and rejoicing greatly, so that the ground shook with the sound. And I have to confess that when I was reading about this and, and preparing for this, the mention of flutes and the ground shaking, it made me think of a band parade, to be honest. I still think of the poor American people that we had over in a church I was working in, in Rathrylan. We took them to the band parade through the town, and they spent the whole time standing with their, their hands over their ears. But this would have been some occasion and yet there's something that's kind of strange in the middle of it all, that Solomon was brought in on a mule, not on a horse with a chariot like Adonijah had been getting on half round the country, not in the way that neighboring countries would have been when they were anointing their rulers and parading their rulers. Solomon arrives in on a humble mule, but what we need to understand is that in the Old Testament, in the, the, the kingdom of Israel, God's kingdom, it was a donkey or a mule rather than a horse that was the great symbol of God's anointed king. So, on this occasion, this was such a powerful symbol that Solomon was not only David's choice, but he was the Lord's choice. And inevitably, as we finish, that makes us think of a greater heir and king. Because this is a really good time to be thinking about this passage. Next week, God willing, with the help of our children, we'll be thinking about the way that Jesus arrived into David's city, Jerusalem. And we know that it followed a careful plan. And in each of the the Gospels, we have an account of it, and we see all of these parallels with what happens here in 1 Kings chapter 1. Jesus rode in on a donkey, and sometimes people mistake that. They think, isn't that lovely? Jesus, meek and mild, what a, what a lovely symbol of humility that He arrived in on this donkey. That's not what it's about. It's a sign of royalty so that the people themselves recognized it on that day. As John tells us in his gospel in John 12, 13, the people cried out as Jesus arrived, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then they added, blessed is the King of Israel. And that great moment that shout, it enables us to see the two great truths about Jesus, doesn't it? Hosanna means save. That He was arriving there with a job to do. He was arriving there to go to the cross 
to be the Savior of this world, to be the Savior of sinful people like you and me. And he was arriving there as the ultimate king. So that the great challenge as we finish today is, is he your Savior? And have you made Jesus your king, king of every single aspect and part of your life where nothing is left to one side? We know that King David had many heartaches as a father, but today we have met Solomon, the son of whom he could be proud and pleased. But all the way through this series, our focus has been on another son of David, a descendant of David's who is a much, much greater king, Jesus. And he was the perfect son. Here's his dad's verdict on him. Here's what the father said when the son was baptized. Mark chapter 1 verse 11, the people heard God speak to Jesus, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And so I end by asking you a question. Do you see him? Do you see Jesus as his father does? What would it look like as you leave here today, as you walk into this week with all that will be happening to make this Jesus the king of every part of your life? Amen.